Thank you for listening to this episode of Oppenheimer's Let's Talk Future podcast series. In this episode, our guest is Dr. Asher Chanan Khan, Professor of Medicine and Oncology at the Mayo Clinic. And our host is Dr. Stefan Loren, Managing Director in Healthcare Investment Banking at Oppenheimer, who earned his PhD in Organic Pharmaceutical Chemistry. This episode was recorded on August 2nd, 2021. Opinions expressed are those of Dr. Asher Chanan Khan and are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, nor investment advice. Opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and participants and do not necessarily reflect the opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints of Oppenheimer. The opinions are subject to change without notice. Oppenheimer & Co. Inc. is not affiliated with the Mayo Clinic. Please subscribe to our channel to instantly access previous episodes. Subscribing also means you won't miss out on new episodes with our thought leaders who bring you timely and relevant insights about the markets, investing, business, new technologies, and life in general. Welcome to another Let's Talk Future podcast. I'm your host, Stefan Lauren from Oppenheimer and Company. And today we are very excited and privileged to have with us Dr. Asher Chanan Khan. Dr. Chanan Khan is a world-renowned hematologist working at the Mayo Clinic in Florida and is considered by many to be one of the top key opinion leaders in his field. He's received multiple Best Doctor awards from the Castle Connolly Group and has made the U.S. News Top 1% Doctors list. His list of accomplishments and awards is too long to go into here, so Asher, let's get right into it. Let's start off, Asher, and I was wondering if you could introduce yourself to the audience and tell the listeners a little bit about your background. Thank you, Stefan, for a wonderful introduction. I am a professor of medicine at the Mayo Clinic, as you mentioned. My area of interest is oncology in general, hematology, with a background from Columbia and NYU, where I did my residency and fellowship, and have been focusing on B-cell cancers both in my laboratory as well as in the clinic, specifically focusing on multiple myeloma, chronic lymphocytic leukemia, and Waldenstrom's. These are the diseases that I'm in clinic and in the laboratory take care of. Thank you. And then, so if you look back on your career, what changes have you seen in the field over the span of time? And specifically, how are your day-to-day -day interactions with patients that you see different today than they were a few years back? I've been in the field for over 20 plus years, and it has been an amazing ride, Stefan, I must say that. The field of oncology has changed significantly from the time that I started my career in Buffalo, New York. In general, I would say there are two important aspects that will be worth looking into from, from looking at the spectrum. One is the diagnostic path of oncology, and the other is the therapeutic part. Have we improved our capability to diagnose cancer effectively, more specifically? And in that particular realm, I think I would like to focus very much on the genomics. The advent of genetic screening, uh, whole genome sequencing, exon sequencing, a lot of that started happening in the early 2000s when I was in Buffalo. And now it's such easily available through commercial testing. And that has revolutionized how we see cancer. We have gotten to learn that we can genetically annotate cancers in patients. We can identify different clones in a single cancer patient, suggesting that the cancer has already mutated even at the time of diagnosis. We have been able to figure out where different lesions in the genome happen in a cancer cell, allowing us to figure out or at least try to attempt to repair those or to identify new treatments for that. So the diagnostic piece of cancer biology, cancer diagnosis has been very, very phenomenally different than we initially started where uh, most of us relied on histochemistry and so forth. 
And so that has also now trickled into the therapeutic part. Now, when I started, Stefan, bread and butter therapeutic strategies were to use chemotherapy. A lot of the old dogma that people still carry in terms of cancer therapeutics is from that time, uh, lots of aggressive chemotherapy uh, resulting in lots of side effects and so forth. But over the last 20 years, there has been an amazing change, amazing shift from identifying novel mechanisms of therapy. In particular, targeted therapy or immune therapies have the two major areas that have evolved, specifically that has changed the field of medicine in general for oncology, as well as the hematologic malignancy specifically. Monoclonal antibodies, a lot of them are coming on. They are going in target. You can load them up with different toxins or radiation molecules and so forth and have a targeted delivery of therapeutics to the cancer cell. On the other hand, immune therapy have also become very, very center in the treatment paradigm for these cancers. Immunotherapy, there is a whole spectrum of things, the monoclonal antibody being one. But now in the more recent times, we have used small molecules to activate immune system, NK cells, T cells within a patient. These are molecules called immunomodulatory drugs. They have completely changed the field of hematologic malignancy and improved survival for patients. And most recently, genetic engineering resulting in CAR therapies or chimeric cells that can be taken out from a patient. Patient's old immune system, immune cells are taken out, genetically engineered towards a specific antigen, and then poured back into the patient. And those cells have demonstrated we can genetically engineer the immune system towards the cancer cells specifically, resulting in remission induction in patients who have very resistant and aggressive cancer. So uh, the field of oncology is booming with new ideas and new opportunities for new therapies. And clearly, all of these changes that I have seen, Stefan, has impacted the overall survival of patients in a very, very positive manner. So it sounds like oncology is actually getting a little bit more personalized for the patients at this point. Therapies directed at an individual patient versus a blanket for all cancer patients. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. I mean, we are able to much more tailor the treatment to specific patient, to specific lesion, to specific in their genome, to specific target that they express on their cells. We can design therapeutic regimens for patients based on age, their ability to tolerate. And so there are many aspects of individualized or personalized medicine that are now embedded inside the cancer therapeutics very effectively. So as a group, would you describe yourself and other oncologists as early and fast adopters or more slow and cautious adopters? Yes, very interesting and very important question. I think oncology field is unique in, in specifically answering this, whether we in general are early adopters or cautious. I think oncology warrants urgency. There is definitely an urgency to treat patients. There's definitely an urgency to get patients into remission. And there's an urgency when relapses happen to find new opportunities. There are lots and lots of clinical trials. And I think oncologists in general tend to have a very open mind to adopting new therapies. But they're also very cautious not to do more harm because these therapies are not necessarily always very innocuous, despite the fact that they are very targeted, they are very specific, they do have side effects. 
So I would say that, and there is a spectrum like in any other field, but majority of the oncologists or hematologists tend to adapt, follow the data very closely and tend to adapt therapies earlier on for the benefit of their patients. Got it. So we always hear it's all about the data in our field, and it sounds like that's the same thing as what you do. It's all about the data and making the best choice for the patient. So was wondering, you've talked a little bit about the current technologies, but take out your crystal ball for a moment and tell me, as you look in the future, do you see any technologies that are coming up that may impact the way you treat patients over the next five to 10 years? I think, yes, there are several new aspects that are being explored. I think one of the most under developed area in cancer is the vaccine part. I think one of the things that I'm very excited about seeing is development of personalized vaccines for patients. Can we develop a vaccine approach where immune system can be educated preemptively before a relapse happen? And I think that those are one of the important areas that continue to struggle in, in oncology. And there are many companies in academic institutes that are now investing a lot of time, effort, in, and intellectual power to develop vaccine approaches, including new antigens, discovery of new molecules on the surface of cells or antigens that can be used or exploited as potential mechanisms to elicit an immune response. A more sophisticated way of delivering radiotherapy. Now, radiotherapy for many, many, many years have been shown to be very effective in many cancers. Some of the cancers you can just radiate and they'll be they'll be cured. And so the effectiveness of radiation therapy has been very well documented in oncology. However, the traditional way of delivering radiation therapy has been challenging because it has side effects and so forth. And I think the modern new therapeutic targeted approach or targeted delivery of radiotherapeutics or radioimmunopharmaceuticals are going to be a game changer in the next 10 years or so. That's actually very exciting. So it sounds like the difference between using a sledgehammer and a scalpel. Yes, absolutely. Yes, you're so right. So just to put a little time on this uh, around the recording of, of our podcast here is that we're sitting here and there is a resurgence of COVID-19 and the, the Delta variant for the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Asher, as you reflect on what we've been through for the last year and a half and what we might be going through in the future, not just COVID times, but post-COVID times, how do you see COVID changing and the pandemic changing the way you treat patients now, but also patients in the future? What's changed? This has been a very interesting last year and a half in the field of oncology. There are some good aspects that we have learned, and there are certainly some challenges. Among the challenges are was the, the rigorous maneuvers that we did in terms of cancer screening. Because cancer screening has been always thought of as a routine, healthy, physical evaluation, most patients would shy away, most clinics had shied away and deferred those screening processes because of the limitation in resources and limiting patients, especially elderly patients coming into the clinic and trying to minimize contact in a hospital. And that has a very negative effect in terms of detecting of cancer, upstaging of cancer. Patients who may have had cancer would have advanced cancer at the time of diagnosis. The loss of routine in which the evaluations were done impact the effect of the screening process in general, early detection, control, and so forth. And there's a lot of stuff that is now coming out that we realize that the limitation in screening will impact 
the diagnosis of cancer and the amount of cancer and the kind and stage of cancers that we would see in patients in the years to come. And that has been a challenge, but it has also allowed us new opportunities. For example, the, the use of telemedicine has become very, very prominent in medicine in general, in oncology medicine. I have not thought of telemedicine in the past, but a lot of my patients now I see through telemedicine and I'm able to deliver adequate amount of care to them. A lot of research subjects who are on research protocols and experimental therapeutics, we have come to realize that there are certain aspects of their care that we can actually deliver through telemedicine. And it allows us to optimize utility of various resources. And so that has become a really positive in medicine for us and in oncology in general, that we should be able to continue or leverage this technology, this know-how that we have learned as a result of COVID in terms of delivering care at patient's convenience. You know, Stefan, I would see patients flying in for half an hour visit from different parts of the country, and that was just considered normal for them to fly from West Coast or, you know, North to come down and see their physician after three months for half an hour or an hour consultation. Now, all of that can be done virtually, and we can utilize testing done locally, incorporate them, make decisions on, on their care and so forth. So I think the positive impact of COVID has been our ability to leverage new technologies to understand how we can deliver better care and for patient convenience. So very specifically, obviously, we humans are creatures of habit. Do you think we're going to go back to the old ways or have we changed for the good forever? I think there is going to certainly be a push uh, and being very realistic. Uh, the push has many reasons. One could just be you know, more diligent care, more. One of the things that I miss is putting my hands on a patient, examining a patient, and it makes me feel much more comfortable examining a patient. But then if, if somebody has had a head to toe scan, does my clinical examination really add much more in terms of for them to travel six hours or so forth and so forth? So I think those things are there. But to answer your question, are we going to go back to what we, I think there is going to be some pushback and there are some economic aspects of it, healthcare aspects of it. And so those things are, we'll see how things pan out, but I really do think that telemedicine is here to stay. If I was a patient and I don't have to go in and all I need to do is communicate and share and review my data with physician, I think I, I would prefer that. You said something in the answer to the prior question that actually, quite frankly, was a little bit alarming to me, and that's wanted to drill down a little bit more, but because of the lack of screening in COVID, it sounds like you expect many more patients to present with either advanced disease or, or actually just not present at all and have a higher mortality rate. So I was wondering if you just dive in a little bit on that, number one, and, and number two, what can be done during a time of COVID potentially to try to put people at ease, if anything? That is very true. American Cancer Society and others have raised major concern in screening. Initially, everybody had thought that the COVID thing is going to last for a short period and we should be able to move on and get back to our norm. But as you can see, not only did COVID itself lasted, but the subsequent variant is prolonging this effect. And so our ability to bring in patients and use the resources that we have for screening purposes had decreased initially in the first uh, two quarters of COVID impact. 
And what that does that is, is several things. First and foremost, those who may have had cancer would not be diagnosed. And if they're not diagnosed on time and they're diagnosed in a delayed fashion, their stage would could be advanced or they could have metastasized and that directly impact the overall survival impact of these patients. The second aspect is also that the fact that when you take the patients who are in a routine and they were supposed to be screened for cervical cancer, colon cancer, lung cancer, whatever uh, things that we can prevent or early detect, these patients are now out of their routine and getting them back into is a challenge. As a result of a lot of screening services that were suspended during COVID, there's a huge backlog. Now, screening a lot of time, unfortunately, depends on an individual. I have to get up and make a schedule and make an appointment for my colon cancer screening. And if I don't do that, there's no obligation in general for people to follow up from the hospital or the doctors. We would get a reminder. I do get a reminder. Everybody gets a reminder. I think there's a sense of uh, complacency. We say, well, let the COVID go over. I don't have to really do this right now. Maybe I'll do it later in two months or four months. Let this this wave go down. And that that complacency has impact. That, uh, quite frankly, inspires me to go out and make sure I have my annual checkup as well. Yes. And, you know, you'll be alarmed that nationally there was an 80, up to 80% decrease in screening rates during COVID. And that is, is significant. No, definitely significant then. And from what you said earlier, it's all about finding patients as early as possible and finding the right treatment. So... I think as we go forward, that sounds like you would say that early detection is is going to be a priority. Yes. One of the successes in oncology, Stefan, has been in our country of very effective, robust screening protocols. We have had, you know, the oncology field, the medicine field has really driven home a very strong message that mammograms, colon cancer screening, prostate screening, lung cancer screening, higher cervical cancer screening, they are important. And so it has helped the improve in mortality in our nation, in our country, cannot be, the, the role of cancer screening cannot be underestimated. And one of the things that COVID really impacted was this. So let me get to the final couple questions here. Number one, let's talk a little bit about the supply and demand for oncology services. There was a large study that was done by the American Society of Clinical Oncology, we call it ASCO, in 2007, a while back, predicted that there was going to be, in 2020, last year, a major shortfall of oncologists. Is that what's being seen right now? And if that's the case, how do we solve this problem? How do we get more younger people interested in the medical field, number one, and number two, interested in oncology in particular? And then think about that in juxtaposition, the, the population of America as a whole is aging. And what does this mean for oncology and the supply of doctors? So the fact is, you're absolutely right. The fact is that cancer is going to be, if not already there in the next two years, the number one diagnosis, the number one killer in the United States. It was predicted to be 2021, 22, a number one killer. And as we have made major advances over the last three decades in care for heart diseases and so forth, cancer has surpassed that significantly. The other thing is that cancer's care is very expensive. Cancer care is not cheap, and it has a huge economic impact in our society, in individuals, and as a whole nation. Your first question is that, are the, is the new generation interested 
do we still have the momentum in oncology? And I'll share with you that as an oncologist who has practiced for so long, I never felt this much burden as I started in this field. The amount of knowledge by itself that's coming out is, is enormous. The, the need to keep up with that knowledge base to deliver optimal care, good care to patients is very difficult. And in that whole process, the amount of time dedicated to deliver care has decreased significantly. There is a huge financial drive in institutes and pressure on various institutes and so forth to meet those demands. As a result, the burden falls on the clinicians who are actually on the forefront delivering that care and for which things are being built. When I have to sit in front of a cancer patient for 25 to 30 minutes and tell them that they're relapsing, tell them that these are the new therapies to go to, or these are the clinical trials, or this is the test that they need to do, or, or just hold their hand and try to figure out their emotional needs before I can get to the next step of caring for them and describing what we can do for them. Though that whole piece at present is allocated in a time frame, and you can imagine that is very, very hard to deliver. And so the cost of care has gone so up, the burden on uh, institutes to deliver that care in those dollar amounts has become very difficult. The pressure that trickles down on the clinical team, whether it be nurse practitioners, physicians, nurses, is enormous. The complications of cancer therapies are so much. I mean, we generate, for each phone call, we generate 10 more. Patients do get these treatments, have tons of questions as they develop new side effects. So I think it's a, it's a very high stress job. And I, I fear, I've taught all my life, I've been an academic physician, and I have taught many residents and fellows and medical students. And I can see that the stress of an oncologist is exceptional. And, and the burden that a cancer physician carries emotionally is enormous. And I, I do fear, as you very rightly pointed out, pointed out, that are we entering a phase where people will say, is this really the kind of life I would like to live, or are there better opportunities for better quality of life? Well, with that, I wanted to thank you very much for just the amazingly informative talk that you've had with us today. And uh, Asher, we'd love to have you back at some point. There's so much that you brought up here that we could actually just do another podcast about many of those points. Everything from how a doctor is going to be able to make the diagnosis, what types of information they need and how they can quickly keep up with information to, again, just the trends in cancer therapy and trends in diagnosis. So I wanted to thank you again very much for joining us today and thank the audience for listening. Asher, thank you. Thank you so much, Stefan, for inviting me. I really enjoyed it.